Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. You have your Bibles, let's open up to Mark chapter 4. Um, thank God for Pastor Roger who was able to swoop in and... And so he kind of skipped ahead to the next section because that's what he was responsible for. So we're going to kind of go backwards today, and we're going to just mesh this whole thing up and get right back on track. We are headed towards Easter, um, and what a, we have an amazing weekend for you. Um, we're going to have a good Friday service. Really, we had a little bit of one last year, but this is going to be um, a good Friday service um, that's going to be amazing. We're going to take communion on Good Friday. We're going to remember the cross. Then on Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection, <clears throat> and we have some exciting things planned, some surprises, and so I'm um, just super, super grateful and um, thankful for Roger and his beautiful wife, Becca. Um, so uh, Mark chapter 4, uh, just to kind of refresh you a little bit, um, because I think it was like two and a half weeks ago, this was supposed to be a two-parter, and so if you remember two weeks ago, Mark introduced us to Five different groups of people who all responded to the person and work of Jesus in a variety of different ways. You remember that? So just kind of refresh your memory and just kind of introduce you back to these people. Um, the first group, upon hearing Jesus declare himself to be Lord of the Sabbath, the Pharisees wanted him dead. This second group was unable to discredit Jesus' supernatural authority. You remember that? The scribes that were from Jerusalem, because they could not, because they could not um, debunk his supernatural authority, um, the Pharisees wanted him dead. The scribes from Jerusalem accused him of being demon-possessed. This third group has been with us from the very beginning, and it's the crowds. And as you know, the crowds can't keep their hands off Jesus, like literally can't keep their hands off Jesus. Like an obsessive mob, they came to him for the free health care, but not for the gospel. The next group was Jesus' relatives. Do you remember them? I mean, even Mary, I'm thinking, Mary, what are you thinking? Like the angel has visited you, you know why. But Mary shows up with his brothers, and the scripture tells us that they want to seize him. They want to literally grab him. Uh, because they think he's, he's an endanger to himself. His relatives think his, Jesus has gone mad. And if you remember the final group, um, only those who were called to him, his followers, were willing to come sit at his feet and listen to his words. Now, of all the varying responses, it begs one question. All of the different responses kind of beg one vital question. Here it is. How was it possible for multiple groups of people to encounter the same man with the same message and still walk away with very different responses? Now, this is the question Mark wants us to ask after reading chapter 3. Because this is the question that Mark intends to answer in chapter 4. But before we answer those questions, 
Mark first kind of sets up the scene. So if you're there, Mark chapter 4, I just want to read verses 1 and 2 to set up the scene, and then we'll get into the rest of the message. So Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 1 and 2. We'll also have it up for you on the screen. And it goes like this. And he, this is Mark talking about Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. Now, pause right there. And he was teaching them many things in parables. To set the scene, what I want to do is answer two questions right now. The first question is this. Why was Jesus on a boat, and why was he now teaching in parables? If you've been with us up to this point, uh, Jesus is starting to teach in parables. This is the first time Mark will introduce us to Jesus' parable ministry. Now, let's answer that first question. Why was Jesus on a boat? Well, there's two reasons. The first reason was practical. And the simple answer, the practical reason why Jesus was on the boat was because the crowds were getting too large and too difficult to manage. Do you remember a couple of chapters before Jesus had actually told the disciples to get boats ready for me because the crowd is kind of so evasive that it's literally threatening to crush him? Well, now the crowds are getting literally too large and too difficult to manage. So the waterfront becomes a natural barrier, but it also becomes a natural theater because the water provides the perfect acoustics for his voice to carry. So you have a practical reason for why Jesus was on the boat, but there's also a missional reason. Let me explain to you. Again, do you remember back in chapter 1? Jesus' priority was not to heal people. His priority was to teach and preach the gospel. The primary purpose of Jesus' life and his ministry, his living ministry, was to declare and proclaim the gospel. So creating a distance between him and the bombarding crowd ensured that the crowd had no choice but to listen. Now, I just kind of want to throw a side note in here. In Jesus' teaching ministry, we see the struggles of every faithful pastor and evangelist. What do I mean by that? Here it is. Will I give the crowd what they want? Will I tell the crowd what they want to hear? Or will I faithfully preach the gospel? You see, the church needs more, shout out to Roger, John the Baptist. What do I mean by that? John the Baptist was willing to confront the sins of the culture, even if it meant costing him his life. You don't want to do that because you didn't clap. You see, let me tell you something about love. Love must speak truth, no matter how unpopular that truth is. That's not the culture we're raised in. You see, love means something else. But love must speak the truth no matter how unpopular it is. And so the teaching ministry of Jesus 
gives us an understanding of the struggle of every faithful pastor and evangelist that Jesus has called to share the gospel. Will I give the crowds what they want, or will I be true to the word of God? Now that Jesus has their attention, the next question I wanted to answer was this. Why did he choose to teach in parables? Now, let me just explain. Parables, we could be here all week talking about parables, but let me just try to explain to you very quickly. Parables were a way for Jesus to reveal truth to insiders while at the same time conceal truth from outsiders. Parables were both, you ready for this, revelation and judgment at the same time. Let me, let me explain that. Parables were judgment. You see, to outsiders, parables obscured the truth. And because truth was hidden in story, it was not obvious or made plain to them. Therefore, they didn't understand the truth. Now, let me explain why a parable is simultaneously revelation. On the other hand, parables revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of God. These mysteries were God's secrets only made known to man if God revealed it. Here's what I want to kind of deduce from that. Here's what I want to conclude. Parables were meant to provoke one of two responses. Y'all with me? Either you remained on the outside unclear about the truth or you drew closer to Jesus eagerly desiring an explanation. Do you see what's happening here? By teaching in parables, Jesus is beginning to filter out his ministry. He's starting to separate from himself those who were genuine followers from those who were only consumers. I want you to know that most pastors in America, let me retract that because I hate generalization. I want you to know that some pastors in America, we struggle with popularity and we think the goal of our churches and our ministries is to grow a large crowd. Did you know that Jesus actually did the opposite? Did you know that when his crowd got the largest, he said the most difficult things? And do you know that after he said difficult things, many said this is too difficult for us to understand and they walked with him no longer? Now watch. By teaching in parables, Jesus is filtering out his ministry. He's separating from himself those who are genuine followers and those who were only consumers. Now, to the person who sincerely desired Jesus, the parables drew them closer. But to the person whose motives were impure or insincere, the parables drove them away. Now, this is pretty heavy. Um, and I've been noticing it, uh, on a lot of uh, social media, unpopular truth. <laughs> Here's an unpopular truth. Jesus is still separating today the real from the fake. 
And he'll continue to separate sheep from goats until the day of judgment. This is my prayer. Please don't ignore the weightiness of this word. I've been praying about this all week. I've sent some text messages out um, to some people to help me. But I think, and I don't mean this arrogantly, but I think today's message might be one of the most important messages you'll ever hear. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with this word. So will you join me? I'm going to, I know we prayed already, but I'm going to specifically pray over this message. Pray over me. The Lord would speak. I would remove myself and get out the way and pray over you that you would just receive what the Lord has to say. So Heavenly Father, I truly believe that this is one of the most important messages all of us will ever hear. And so I pray that our eyes would be open, our hearts would be open. I rebuke the devil, the devourer of the seed. And I pray that every heart and mind would be attentive to your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would use me to speak your truth in love, not rudely or arrogantly. And Lord, so that everyone in this room would receive it. For your honor, your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most frightening truths in all of Scripture is this. It is possible to encounter God, to sit down in a room and hear his words, yet still walk away unfazed, unchanged, and dead in your sin. One of the most frightening things in Scriptures is that it is possible to encounter the God of this universe to hear his words and still walk away unfazed, unchanged, and dead in your sin. You see, God's word can even produce joy in you. It can even move you to tears. But if your hearing is not producing fruit, your hearing, in spite of your emotional response, is useless. What Varying responses Mark has shown us in chapter 3 still happen every Sunday. So Mark writes chapter 4 to help all of us understand that whenever God's word is spoken, some will receive it while others will reject it. My warning to you today is simply this. Take inventory of your soil. Take inventory of your soil. Let's continue. Mark chapter 4, verse 2 through 13. And because I've read partial of 2, I'll finish the back end of 2 and continue to verse 13. Scripture says, In his teaching, he said to them, this is Jesus teaching to the crowds on a boat, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, 
And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, this is Jesus, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, now, did you catch that? He says the parable to the public, but now he's going to explain the parable in private. Are you with me? You see, he was alone now with the 12 and others, and now they're talking to him while he's alone. And he said to them, to you, right, to you, not to the crowds, but to this small group, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. It's pretty hard. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? I'm going to continue to read, but can I pause for a moment? The reason why I said this message is probably one of the most important messages you'll ever hear is because here's what Jesus is saying in this moment. If you don't get this parable, you won't get any of them. Now let's continue. Verse 14. Again, Jesus is alone now with his core group. He's away from the crowds. He told them the parable in public. But now, ready? He's going to explain the parable in private. Aren't you glad Peter told Mark the explanation of this parable? I mean, you and I are getting, we're a crowd on Sunday morning, and we're getting the private commentary of Christ. Don't you love when Jesus gives commentary to himself so that we don't have to listen to all these pastors pontificating about their own experiences, not in the word? I can go on that for a long time, but I'll stop. I might offend some of you this morning. Verse 14, Jesus says, the sower, he's explaining it now, the sower sows what? The word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches... And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves what? Unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. 
Although Jesus describes four scenarios the seed encounters, if you read closely, you'll see that there are only really two types of soils. Soils that receive the word and soils that reject the word. Soils that are hospitable to the word of God and soils that reject the word of God. My plea to you this morning is take inventory of your soil. Is your heart like the pathway this morning? Seed casted onto the beaten path are vulnerable to birds. Jesus tells us plainly, this is a picture of Satan snatching away the word as soon as it is spoken. Every time God's word is faithfully spoken, there is an unseen warfare over the word. We can't afford to be ignorant every Sunday, even right now. Satan is an unseen attender in our worship services, diligently working to snatch the word before it takes root in your heart. And I had to be honest, I was challenged by this all week. And I especially want to challenge the members of Inspired Church. Are you even really prepared for church? Do you even really know what you're walking into on Sunday morning? Are you even prepared before you come into this place? Are you praying that the seed of the gospel will be perpetuated, that the devourer of the seed would not rob its intentions in the hearts of everyone who walks in this room? Or are you a consumer Christian who walks into this place, a member of Inspire, because it's just a social club for you, but it's not warfare and it's not mission? Well, I have to serve today. You can tell why I wrestled with this all week. I love y'all. And I'm going to say something. I hesitated to do this. I really did. Because I can get petty sometimes. I know. I hesitated to do this. But against my better decision making, I decided to make a list of what seems like harmless distractions but could very possibly be the enemy at work trying to keep the word from taking root. And when I say this, inevitably, somebody's going to be doing these things, and I don't mean to judge you. But let me just explain a couple of ways the enemy can rob you of the word before it takes root today. You see, this first person loves the word that's being spoken because they believe that's exactly what the person next to them needs to hear. Man, this word is for him. So my husband, I hope he gets this word. You know what happens there? You're so preoccupied with how the word needs to be heard by someone else that you miss what it wants to do in you. I hope my teenager gets this. No, you need to get this. And I know your teenager might be a little demon child, but you need to get this. And I know your wife may not be where you want her to be. And I know your husband is a little selfish. 
But you need to get this word. This second person pays more attention than most. In fact, this person might even be taking notes. But their goal isn't heart change. It's the accumulation of knowledge to puff up their pride. So they can debate on the weekend with their friends. Or maybe find a good word so that they can preach it sometime. Number three, I can't forget about number three. I can't forget about y'all. Y'all ready for this? I can't forget about the group that spends much of their time on their devices, texting, scrolling through Facebook and IG, beating their previous high score on Candy Crush (laughs) while the word of God is being spoken and still wondering why your marriage is a mess. And still wondering why you're addicted to sin. Porn has a hold on you. Still wondering why you're in bondage. But scrolling through your Facebook and your Instagram while the word of God is being spoken. And you have the audacity to blame God. This final group is just restless. And again, I don't mean everybody. I'm, I'm, it's okay to use the bathroom, okay? Are you ready for this? Anybody like, someone has to go to the bathroom right now. They're like, I'm not going right now. I am not going. But this final group is just restless. Are you ready? Especially when it comes to listening to the word. They can't sit still. I mean, they can if it's their favorite movie. Right? They can sit through the movies. Y'all are excited about some of the Avengers stuff that's coming out. You'll sit through that. Oh, it's an extended three hours? You'll sit through that. God forbid the pastor goes 45 minutes and you miss lunch. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I should not get sick. I should not. Pastor Roger will be preaching soon, and he will bless y'all, and I'm just going to mess y'all up. No, he'll mess you up too, but I'm just saying like, And I'm getting off my notes, and my wife is looking at me, and I know when I get off my notes, it's just a little harsher, a little pettier, and I'm going to repent from this. I prayed, I promise. But, I mean, can we be honest this morning? You can sit through the movies. You can enjoy your favorite sporting event with no problems. But when the word is being spoken, you find reasons to wander the halls. Just wandering, fidgeting, talking to people, finding opportunities to escape this room just for a moment. Subconsciously, you're escaping the word, but consciously, you don't even know what you're doing. (laughs) You're avoiding worship. My, My prayer is that the house will be packed for worship the way it is for the message. I'll just be honest. I know, I know, I know. You know, and I find so much comfort in knowing when Jesus spoke the truth, it dwindled down. You know, I want y'all to come back next week, but I just might, you know. But my, my dream is that we'd wake up on time. My dream is that we'd show up, and I get it, it's hard, and sometimes you can't, but that we would develop a pattern of packing this place out. Even if you don't like the music, it's not your style, it's too loud. You know, you would just be here just, to, just for the prayer. <laughs> Y'all can see why I hesitated making this list, amen? 
Okay, praise God. And I have a note here, like I don't intend to be petty, but I feel like I went petty a little bit. In my notes, I didn't intend to. And can I be honest? I get it, okay? I get it, I get it. Occasionally, these things happen. Occasionally, the pastor is, you know what I mean? Like, give me a word. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes it's boring. It's like, man, you, you know what I mean? So I get it. Sometimes you just got to go and check out. I get it. I get it. Things happen. But can I be honest? It's when you begin to notice patterns of these kinds of behavior. I mean, you scroll through a Facebook, look, you're good. I get it. But it's when these things become a pattern. And I, I, I was talking to my wife about this. She wanted me to be careful about delivering this particular part. And I, you, mo- most of you know me. You know that I'm a logical person. What I mean by logical, not that the word of God is illogical, but there are a lot of times when logical people, it's hard for us to make sense of the unseen world. Right? And so logical people are going to apply to logic and knowledge, going to read the scriptures and extract from it something that our minds could understand. I believe that's how God predominantly works, Okay? Uh, But nonetheless, we can't avoid the fact that there is unseen warfare taking place. And we can't describe it because we can't see it. But if Jesus says it's there, it's there. And I don't mean to say that your cell phone's the devil or, you know, you know, foosball's the devil. You know, the IGs. None of that is fine. But I'm just saying that the enemy can use that to rob the seed before it takes root. Take inventory of your soil. Now, this next illustration is even more frightening than the first. It's more sobering than the first because it's probably the one that is most responsible for false conversions in the church today. Let's be honest. There are many people sitting in service on Sundays who falsely think that they're right with God. Because they raised their hand, said a prayer. This is the rocky ground. Now, the rocky ground reveals that just because you went to church and got the feels does not mean that you actually received the word. I've noticed Pastor Roger says this. I like this. Write this down. Right? He'll say, write this down. I'm like, you know, I'm going to snatch that. (laughs) Outward emotion does not automatically mean inward reception. Do you understand that? And I am going to say that again. (laughs) Outward emotion does not indicate automatically inward reception. It's possible to listen to your favorite preacher preaching and your favorite singer singing your favorite song, and all of these conditions can come together to produce positive feelings inside of you. But understand this, momentary joy is not a litmus test of the effectiveness of God's word in your life. So important, if you're a new convert in this room, if you are new to your faith in this room, so important, please hear me out. Are you ready? Days will come when the good feelings will go away. And instead of euphoria, you'll encounter suffering on behalf of your faith. What do I mean by that? A day may come where your faith in Christ brings you pain. A day may come where your family disowns you. A day may come where your friends abandon you. 
Even people in the church might stab you in the back and let you down. In those moments, if you're guided by your feelings, the feelings emotion produces and not the faith that the word produces, mark my words, you will walk away from Jesus. And if you serve the Lord for any amount of time, you know that there are people you have loved that have fallen away from the gospel because the church stabbed them in the back because they couldn't handle the tribulation and persecution that their faith in Christ was bringing to them. God has a way of exposing our Christianity and determining was it faith or was it a fad? Listen, to the believer, persecution and tribulation are tools of sanctification. But for those on rocky ground, persecution and tribulation are regions to doubt. Now take inventory of your soil this morning. Someone once asked me as a church planter in the Bay Area, what do I think is one of the biggest obstacles to discipleship in our churches today? And there are a lot of obstacles. But my answer was this, the idolatry of success, as defined by our Western cultural value system. It's one of the biggest obstacles to discipleship in America and in the Bay Area. Can I just say something? It is impossible to squeeze into your schedule the demands and glories of the kingdom while you're still prioritizing the pursuits of your comfort, your career, and your material gain. It's impossible, and it'll drive you mad. It is impossible to squeeze into our schedule the demands and glories of the kingdom while we're still prioritizing the pursuit of comfort, career, and material gain. And notice I said prioritizing. I don't think those pursuits are wrong. You know, I, I love connects. Amen. I love Connects. Shout out to Connect and Hayward. I love our Connect. I'm sure you love your Connect. We all love our Connects, okay? And, you know, there is a part of me that says, you know what, I know Connects are tough. And I know a lot of us in here maybe haven't tried to connect yet. But I do want to remind you, the crowds came on Sundays, but the disciples followed closely and were with Christ to explain the word. And I'm not saying that if you don't go to Connects, you're not a disciple. What I am saying is connect is a way at Inspire in which we take the word that was spoken to the masses on Sunday and that we come together and dive deep and break it down. Do you see that connection? I'm not saying, I'm not legalizing connects. Connects have nothing to do with your salvation. But I am saying there's something about a desire inside of you to pursue the word broken down. And if that desire is not in there and it's not causing some angst to get to know the word more, I would be really concerned about my soul. Now, we talked about this at depth in Connects last week. Again, shout out to Hayward. <laughs> Even good things can become idolatrous things when we look to them for our ultimate meaning, 
satisfaction, validation, and success. Anything that replaces Christ as the primary pursuit of our hearts is an idol that needs to be dethroned immediately. Let me give you a warning to Christians in the room. I've heard and I've been hearing a lot of sermons out there in the church world that are even placing calling over Christ. It's real subtle, y'all, but can I just explain? Uh, Your purpose has become an idol in people's sermons. It's all about your purpose and come to Christ and get your purpose. And the end goal is not Christ, but the end goal is that Christ will be an accessory for you to what? Discover your purpose because your life is meaningful and your life is meaningless right now and you feel like you're down and out and it's purpose, 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 purpose. I love purpose. Calling is part of Christ in your life. But I want to tell you that's not the end game. If you're listening to pastors and preachers where Christ is not glorified and the gospel isn't made clear, then what are we listening to? Therapeutic Christianity. Applying to your sensuality so you can justify your fleshly pursuits. All in the wild, not evangelizing, not going deeper in the word, not being discipled. But looking for your purpose. If you find meeting, satisfaction, validation in anything more than you find it in Christ, dethrone it immediately, put Jesus back on it. Can I be honest? This happens to me all the time. As long as you serve the Lord, you'll always be dethroning idols. I'm always dethroning my idols. Always. That's why I always need the gospel. The gospel isn't the entry level into Christianity. The gospel is everything. It's like, are we preaching the gospel again this morning? Yes. And we will always preach the gospel because you will always be in danger of putting idols in your heart. So we'll never stop preaching the gospel because you'll never stop chasing idols. Neither will I. We're sin. This is what we do. So we need the gospel. And I'm putting myself in there, y'all. I'm with you in this. Are you with me? You coming back next Sunday? Okay. (laughs) Jesus illustrates thorny ground. He illustrates thorny ground. Thorny ground, right? It chokes the seed in three primary ways. Are you ready? If you're a note taker, bam, here you go. I started thorny ground off with a story, so it kind of threw some of you guys off, right? <laughs> but I'll get, here we go. Three primary ways. Number one, he says, the worries of this world will choke the word of God. That's, that's heavy. And it's crazy because... It's the preoccupation with the anxieties of this life can suffocate the growth of the word. Let me give you an example. Be careful when your excuse for not cultivating the things of God in your life becomes I don't have time. That's a great indicator right there. You see that? You see how that works? I don't have time for community and accountability in my life. 
I don't have time to dive deeper into God's word and read the scriptures. I don't have time to attend church. And I know there's a whole movement that says, don't be legalistic. Going to church doesn't mean that. No, going to church, this is the body of believers that gather. It's a local assembly that comes together for the purpose of glorifying God. We are the church. When we gather as a group, yes, the church is individual, but it's also together as a community. You know, when we gather on Sundays, you're a prophetic sign to the world of the age to come. And when that's not a priority to you, now you might be working and you might be busy and I'm not mad. I get it. I get it. And you, you might be a single mom and the only days you can work is Sundays. God bless you. We're with you. We'll work with you to make sure that the word is growing deeper. I don't want to be legalistic, but I do want to say is where are your priorities at? What do you have time for and what do you not And I don't say it to be mean or to be rude. You can go to another church if you want to. I'm just saying I have a concern for your soil. I wouldn't be your pastor if I didn't have a concern for every one of your faces. I may not even know your name, but I know your face every Sunday. And I'm not looking for attendance to validate. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to put the fruit in the front and the fruit become the root. That's not it. The root is the gospel. The root is Jesus Christ. What I am saying is that as the root is planted, the fruit begin to come up. And by your fruit, you'll know your roots. Some people can fake it till they make it. I know a lot of people that go to church, go to connects, say amen, put their hands up, and on that day, Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. So you don't get out of it just because you're a showy foliage, all right? You put up all this showy foliage, but there's no real fruit in there. But what I am saying is, Take inventory of your soil this morning. One of the most important messages I think I've ever preached and probably one of the hardest messages I had to preach. But I got to get you a little uncomfortable sometimes. Because when I stand before the Lord as a pastor, I'm going to be doubly accountable, not just for my own life, but he's going to ask about my church. That's a big deal to me. I don't have time. Number two, thorny ground. What chokes the seed? The first one is the worries of this world. The second one is the deceitfulness of riches. (laughs) It suffocates the growth of the word. Earlier this year, we did a whole sermon series on money. We concluded money itself is not evil. (laughs) Amen? Money is not evil. Are you with me? But it's the love of money. Right? Take inventory like if money causes you to cheat on your taxes, you love money. Repent. Believe the gospel. (laughs) Amen? Like if money causes you to lie to get the sale, right? You're sinning because of money. You love money. Repent and believe the gospel. Lastly, number three. Jesus, any desire that competes with God will suffocate the growth of the word in your life. Now, my hope for you today, <laughs> my note, I put a note here, is not to feel beat up. The devil does that very good, right? He beats us up every day. No one comes to church. Beat me up, pastor, right? You know, we want to come to church. We want to feel encouraged. We want to feel empowered. We want the gospel to move us forward. But here's what I want you to know about the beautiful gospel, right? Like there is forgiveness in Christ because 
Right, thank God, because he is the one who is perfect and because we put our faith in him, even in our filthy rags right now, we feel filthy right now. <laughs> because you have faith in Christ, the Father looks down and he sees, takes pleasure in you. So if you've made Christ your Lord and if you've repented and believed, even if you're sitting right now feeling like, man, oh, that's me, oh, 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 I want you to know that there is healing in the gospel. Yeah. And it's not too late. Are you with me? Again, I, I don't want to beat you up, but my hope is that the grace of our loving God would compel you to take inventory of your soil. I've been taking my time through this. Um, but last couple of things, I, I kind of asked the Lord, how can I conclude such a difficult message in an encouraging way? <laughs> can I, how can I conclude a difficult message in an encouraging way? And, and I came up with three things, okay, that we can do. Um, I came up with three things we can do to become the kind of soil that is hospitable to the seed, okay? So we're going to turn, we're going to finish this morning and hopefully going to walk out here encouraged and enjoy your lunch and empowered by the gospel. Amen. Can you imagine Jesus is telling this to his disciples and they're probably like, oh my goodness, right? But I mean, there's beauty in this. And so I want to encourage you and I want to invite the team just to get ready. Um, three things here, and I'm going to try to go through them quickly. Um, because, not because I don't want to be the, I don't want to go fast with the seed, but because we rent this building out for a certain amount of time. So here we go. Three things. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you the three things right now. Number one, understand the kind of fruit good soil produces. Understand the kind of fruit the good soil produces. That's number one. Number two is Exercise patience when it comes to its growth. Amen? Exercise patience when it comes to its growth. And then number three, celebrate often the harvest of the kingdom. Celebrate often the harvest of the kingdom. Here we go. Number one, understand the fruit, the kind of fruit good soil produces. Let me just say this, and, and, and the music's good for now, and, and, and I don't want to keep people up here super long, but he, here's what I want you to know. Um, it's human nature to identify fruit in terms of our accomplishments and then begin to compare them with what others have done, right? This is the surest way to discouragement. If you're comparing your fruit right now to somebody else's, this is the easiest path to discouragement. Uh, don't compare yourself to somebody else and what they're doing and accomplishing in the kingdom. You see, not everyone is gifted the same. How could you compare yourself to someone when they're totally composed of and gifted totally different than you? There's no comparison. So not everyone is gifted the same, and not everyone is expected to accomplish the same things. We've all been given different tasks by the Lord. Now I want you to note this. The highest calling in anyone's life is not to stand on stages preaching or singing. It's not to pastor a church or to do some kind of full-time vocational ministry. Please don't look at me and say, well, Philip is doing more than all of us. That is not true. The highest calling in anyone's life is to produce the fruit that God has called only you to produce. 
I know that's not why you guys want more. Like, that's so vague. Like, what is it, God? Well, that's part of the, your Christianity. You begin to grow and see how God has gifted you. You begin to unwrap the gifts he's been given to you, and you begin to see how he has uniquely called you to accomplish something. The highest calling in your life is not to stand on stages, speak to thousands, not to go into full-time ministry vocationally. The highest calling is to discover what God has uniquely designed you to do and be faithful with what he's called you to do. Amen? Good soil, then, can only be described as one who, ready, hears the word and does what they hear. I mean, you're probably looking for more, but good soil is, can only be described as one who hears the word and then does what the word says. James talks about being what? A hearer and a what? A doer of the word. Well, the word of God is like a mirror that a man places up to his face. And he begins to see who he truly is. And one of two things, you could see and walk away and not change a thing, or you can use the mirror and allow the Spirit to transform you. I I always find it so funny how we need mirrors in our lives. God forbid we head to church without a mirror. None of us would walk out of our cars without a mirror. Some of you carry mirrors in your purse or in your wallet, although I've yet to see a man with a mirror, but who knows nowadays. Um... What I'm saying is we understand the power of the mirror, but yet we don't understand the power of the mirror. It just makes no sense to me. Good soil can only be described as one who hears the word, does what they hear. Number two, secondly, exercise patience when it comes to the growth of the fruit. Can you guys remember this? And this will be encouraging. The growth of the gospel inside of your life is not about speed. Okay? The growth of the gospel inside of your life is not about speed, but about the harvest it has the possibility to produce. So don't be discouraged when the word is taking its time to work itself out in you. And if you notice... The second parable Mark includes in chapter 4, verse 27, Mark says that Jesus says this, He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Notice the process, Jesus says in verse 28, The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. Aren't you glad that out of all the illustrations Jesus could have used for the growth of the word in our lives, that he used the organic process of the seed? Why should I be glad, Phil? I'm glad you asked. The farmer knows his work is slow, but he knows it's sure. His work is slow, but he knows it's sure. Patience and endurance is required if he is to reap the benefits of the harvest. The farmer also knows that what he starts off with is small. But don't be fooled by its size. Because then he takes this small thing, he scatters it and buries it deep in the earth as if it were dead. Now to the untrained eye, to the non-farmer, what a waste. But every farmer knows that in order for the seed to yield forth the harvest, it has to die. It has to die. 
Please, the farmer does not get caught up in the insignificant beginnings, but he patiently waits for a power outside of his control to transform the seed into something far greater than what it was when it first began. Now watch. What is true of our lives is also true of the kingdom of God. In one of Mark's final parables in chapter 4, Jesus reveals the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And he says, when sown on the ground, it's the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. And it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This leads me to my final point. Celebrate often the harvest of the kingdom. Celebrate often the harvest of the kingdom. Celebrate often the harvest of the kingdom. You and I have the pleasure of seeing the validity of the kingdom of God. Jesus came teaching the gospel of the kingdom, yet many refused it and ignored it. This teaching ministry started out so insignificantly. How could one man talking change the world? Impossible. Yet this insignificant gospel that only a few really wanted to hear is why you and I are here today. Listen to this beautiful scripture in Revelation 7-9. After this, the Apostle John writes, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, the unexpected king has declared an unexpected kingdom. And what has started off insignificant has now produced unexpected results. Why? How is that possible? You see, because the seed is scattered, buried, and dead, a harvest can be produced. Why? How is it possible? Because the seed is scattered, buried, and dead. A harvest can be produced. Why? How is this possible? Jesus is the living word. He was literally scattered throughout Israel, killed on the cross, buried in the ground, and resurrected from the dead. And because that seed was buried, you and I can resurrect. Take inventory of your soil this morning. Take inventory of your soil this morning. Why are you on this planet? Why are you here? What are you supposed to do? Those are all great questions, but at the end of the day, we bow at the knees. We bow on our knees and our feet. We lift up our voice, every tribe, tongue, and nation, and we declare the Lamb of God is worthy. He's worthy. And because he's the seed that was sown, buried and dead in the earth, He's resurrected, and because of that, a harvest unimaginable. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram 
at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.